Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to a realm where business insights meet the personal touch. I'm your host, Malika, and you just tune into the exciting world of SuitUp. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm with Rachel Ogoli Akbo, who is a law school prodigy, um, who is pursuing an LLM at 18 years old. So I invited her to speak today to share some insights on her journey. Hi, Rachel. Hi. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Um, So I think we'll just start with, you know, your background. So your kind of a summary of your academic journey and how you came into law, why you came into law. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born and raised in London, um, Mm. but I am British French. So I was in the French system at a French school and then lycée up until the age of 15. So despite the fact that I was born and raised in London, I essentially studied in the French system the majority of my academic studies. And in the French system, there's something that is known as accelerated schooling. So in my case, I essentially accelerated my schooling by three years. So I essentially, quote unquote, skipped three years. I, for example, I went straight from year seven to year nine without doing year eight. And I did that three times, which then means that I finished school at 15 rather Mm -hmm. than 18 and then started uni at 15. Yeah. So it's been quite a journey. It took a while, but... In essence, accelerated schooling is quite a process because it's it's very rare, even in the French system. It's not yeah. known at all in the English system. It's something quite specific to the French system, mm-hmm. um, and but it's still a very rare and specific process. So I had to take quite a few IQ tests and um, maturity and personality tests to make sure yeah. that it would be an adequate process for me to skip a few years. It's not easy to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You essentially end up with people much older than you, which means you not only have to have a certain IQ or a certain level of intelligence, but the maturity has to come with it because otherwise there can be quite a discrepancy. So Mm -hmm. it's very important to go through the process in a very well-intentioned manner. And that's exactly what I did. So after quite a few IQ tests... I was allowed to essentially skip three years and now I'm here. Mm-hmm. So is it, did, was it intentional? Like, did you, uh, from a young age, think, oh, like, I, I'm smarter than these people. Like, <laughs> I have to, you know, I want to progress faster. Or was, was it something just kind of happened? So, well, I was very, very young when I skipped mm-hmm. my first year. Um, so it wasn't a process, a thought process where I was thinking, I'm so much smarter than everybody yeah. else. No, of course not. No. So my parents, especially my father, he is also very, very smart. And he saw that in me and my siblings when we were born, when we started learning quite quickly. So we learned how to speak mm-hmm. and how to write and all those things very, very fast. And we kind of caught on very fast. And so he caught on to that fact. So he took us to get IQ tests on and kind of see how we were progressing. And that's yeah. kind of where it stemmed from. Um, and after taking us for those few IQ tests, obviously I'm the eldest. So it started mm-hmm. with me and then my siblings came. Yeah. But after taking me for those IQ tests, he kind of went to my school at the time, um, it was a French school, and he 
gave evidence to my my teach, teachers at the time and mm-hmm. um, said, I want her to accelerate a year. Is this possible? He went back and forth with them. It took some convincing. It wasn't all rosy because, yeah. again, it's something <clears throat> that's very rare and it has to be done by the right people at the right time because it can have a lot of consequences on someone's life. Of course, it's something that ends up being a lifetime either success or failure. Yeah. So it took time to achieve. But in essence, that was the thought process behind it. It wasn't just a decision where it was just known by the time I was born, everybody already knew yeah. that I was just, oh my God, so smart. No, um, yeah. it, took, it took time. It was a process and it was over obviously a lot of years and it was during my entire childhood because the last year I skipped was year nine. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's not what we call it in the French system, but I'm yeah. just translating. Um, but it, t- it took time and it was a process. Mm-hmm. And we got there eventually. <laughs> this is more just like about law. So why did mm-hmm. you, you know, why did you decide to study law? Mm-hmm. Where did you study, you know, and what kind of work experiences did you have? Okay. So um, my interest in law kind of stemmed from the way my brain works in the sense that I've always been a very problem-solving person because mm-hmm. my brain works a lot in logic so I was already always very good at things like math and the reason why is because I like logic and solving the problem step by step yeah sometimes I skip a few steps because to me they're obvious and that was always a problem in school <laughs> my teachers would always say Rachel you have to write out every single step yeah. every time I see well, why they're so obvious two plus two equals four <laughs> but it's something that I enjoy doing because getting the result at the end and following a certain logic following those steps is something that I find intellectually challenging sometimes, Mm -hmm. depending obviously on the level of challenge. But my interest in law stemmed from that. And when I was kind of exploring the different kinds of careers I could have, law piqued my interest because it's essentially that on a whole different level. It's obviously not two plus two is four, but it's exactly that. It's developing a logic, following the logic, and solving a problem. Obviously, it's not the same kind of problem as mathematics, but it's exactly that. So... My brain and law function very similarly, which mm-hmm. is why I end up being good at, for example, writing essays and doing all these things that are related to law. And so I, my first work experience in terms of law was when I was 12, I believe. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, I, was, I, I did it earlier than everybody else, yeah. but again, that's part of the process. So... It was um, in what we call seconde in the French system. I believe that's year 11. Yes, I think that's year 11 in the English system. We were required to do at least two weeks of work experience in any field, really. Mm -hmm. Um, But my chosen field being law at the time, that's exactly what I did. So I did um, a few days shadowing a barrister. And um, I shadowed, so I shadowed him for a few days. And then I was a legal intern at Maven Partners. That's a consultancy firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so those two weeks were, were really my first ever time being uh, a, an intern mm-hmm. at, in any kind of legal capacity. It was a brilliant introduction to the legal field. It wasn't anything particularly complicated yeah. but it was it was the first work experience I'd ever had mm-hmm. I then in second year of university so around at 
yeah, at the age of 16, I got a second internship at Latham Partners. They took me in again and it was amazing being back. Obviously it was a four year difference, but yeah. it, it meant that I'd learned a lot and the work that I was doing was obviously different. I then did during my third year of university, I was a legal, well, student legal advisor at my, at the legal advice clinic, um, the LSBU legal advice clinic. Well, for context, I went to university at London South Bank Uni- University. So that's kind of my background in terms of work experience. Mm-hmm. And so this is more about your personal journey and, mm-hmm. you know, the hardships that come with it. Because mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, it's hard to progress this fast at a young age. And also, you know, being a person who also, like, skipped a grade and went to university early, obviously not as early as you, but I still, you know, went there a few years earlier than most people do. It would be interesting to see, you know, if I relate to a lot of stuff that um, you went through. So mm-hmm. what kind of challenges did you face mm-hmm. over this journey? Well, a lot of the challenges that I faced were faced by a lot of other people. Obviously, my journey being a quite unique, I did have certain kind of hiccups in my journey, which is completely normal. Everybody has, it's not all piece of cake kind of thing. But for me, the first hiccup in a sense was managing to actually get to skipping a year, skipping a grade, as you said, because making sure that the people who were bound to make that decision actually understood, again, it's something that's very rare in the French system. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't easy to actually convince people that I could actually do it. Once I'd actually done it, I had to do it three times because, again, just because I managed to convince them the first time, you have to do it again and again and again because Mm -hmm. skipping one year is not the same thing as do it the second time and the third time. So you have to keep convincing people. And sometimes there were people who didn't believe in me. A lot of the time, people didn't actually believe that that was something I was capable of doing. And that's something that I'm now used to doing, but I'm going to have to continue to do my whole life. And a second thing is finding where I am at every single point in time. So meeting new people means being a new in a new environment. And it, that kind of helped me build a really important skill, which is, which is adapting to your mm-hmm. environment. So I had to learn to make sure that I was coming across well to different kinds of people because people yeah. will react differently to this kind of stuff. And this applies to pretty much everybody. You have to learn to know how to read people to then be able to know how you should come across and adapting to that kind of thing is very important and this also applies to the fact that being with people much older I had Mm. to make sure that I was mature and that I was fitting in it wasn't necessarily a problem for me because I'm naturally I fit in quite easily that was quite easy for me but still it did take some a few years to make sure that I was doing it properly Mm. and to not come across in any negative way without actually wanting to do so. So that's very important. And just finding also something that every law student will relate to is finding the kind, which way you actually want to go because law is a subject that is so general. So it's very hard to actually narrow it down and know Mm -hmm. what you want to do. But it's, but, and very good advice to any law student out there is take your time in figuring out what you want to do. It's going to define your entire life but make sure you choose well. So do enough yeah. research on it and it's going to take time. It's not going to take to be easy. There's so many different kinds of laws. The legal field yeah. is very, very wide. So it's going to take time, but once you find what you like, you'll know. You'll mm-hmm. know when to find it and then just keep going. Once you've got it, keep going, learn about it 
and then you'll get to the point where you're comfortable in what mm -hmm. you're doing and what you're studying and where you're at. So, yeah. yeah. Do you think you found that part of law that you absolutely enjoy and that you want to pursue? Yeah. So for me, that would be corporate law. So yeah. anything kind of business related. So obviously my very first work experience, I was a, an intern in a consultancy firm for businesses. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a very important turning point for me because despite the fact that I was that young and it was at the very first stage of me discovering the legal field, I saw two very different sides of the legal field and it I kind of pushed me towards one. In this case, it was the business-related field. So yeah. that was the start of me discovering more about the business part mm -hmm. of, of law. And eventually I ended up doing a business law degree. So I changed, I actually started out doing the general LLB degree. And then at the end of my first year, I had the option to specialize and um, I decided to do so. So I chose to do a business law degree to be honest, I made that decision consciously knowing that there wouldn't actually be that much of a difference between mm -hmm. the business and the general law degree. I just wanted to make sure that I was still kind of exploring my options, knowing what I was doing. Yeah. And then eventually at the end of third year, when I did all those business-related law modules, I kind of felt very, very comfortable. And the company law module, the business law module, they mm -hmm. were very, very nice to me. So I I really enjoyed them. And that's when I decided at the end of that, when I got my degree, I'm going to specialize when I do my master's. I'm now obviously going to pursue a corporate law mm -hmm. master's. And so it was kind of, a it was really a process of starting out, exploring the general legal field and then narrowing it down little by little. And mm -hmm. once you find, you explore those different little modules, you talk to people, you meet solicitors in different fields, you'll know which one, in the, in the back of your mind, you'll know which one you're most attracted to. And it's really a process and it takes time, but you'll yeah. get there eventually. Yeah. So is that why you want to pursue uh, a master so that you can specialize early on? Because I know a lot of people, they either don't do a master's at all, you know, or they start working first and then, you know, along the way, they just kind of decide to take a master's degree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why specifically did you want to do a master's degree? So... At the end of my LLB degree, I felt I needed more. Um, despite having that kind of little specialism in the third year, I wanted to know more about the corporate world. It's I felt it would be it would be a, a good, a, the right path to go down for me at least mm -hmm. to do the masters right after my LLB. That way, I just continue in my studies and I learn more and yeah. I specialize and I know what I doing it's kind of the flow that's where the flow took me that's yeah that's, did. that's also you know you kind of don't lose that momentum yeah yeah because uh, i feel like it might be hard to yeah. go back into education yeah, after you start working true. that is true that's also um, a decision i i mean i made yeah at some point in time i did want to take a break and do my training contract and my qualifying work experience first but then I ended up deciding to do my master's right after to, mm -hmm. as you said, not break that momentum. Yeah. yeah. And so now you're um, in the process of applying for training contracts, right? Yeah. Or so, vacation school. Yeah. So I'm currently kind of job hunting. Quote yeah. Um, having finished my degree, I think it's, I'm now really settled. I'm going to start my master's obviously, but I'm really at a point in time where I feel confident enough as a candidate to mm -hmm. start applying. I could have started and, a lot of professors will tell any law student that you should start applying in second year. Yeah. 
But for me, I chose not to, mainly because I, I something I learned a lot is that my evolution in terms of academic process is very gradual. So I learn a lot, and my and any experience I go through, I learn a lot from. And I knew that the point I was at when I was in second year would not be the same as when I finished my third year. Yeah. And I knew that I would be better off as a candidate and a stronger candidate finishing off my degree, starting my master's, and at that point in time, I would start applying. So it's okay to anyone out there who hasn't been applying in second year or who hasn't even started applying thir- in third year, because I haven't. So yeah. it's important to, for people to know because it can be very stressful. Applying for training contracts is probably one of the most stressful things. The competition is so high. There's so much to go through. The mm-hmm. interviews and the assessments and so on and so forth is probably one of the most stressful things. It's a process but it's a stressful one. And it's important for people out there to know any student, any law student in their second year and their third year stressing about it, just know that I chose not to do so and it's okay. So it's it's really okay to not be at a point in time in second year where you feel comfortable doing it because Mm -hmm. you know you're going to learn so much and you're going to grow as a person and as a candidate and it's okay to do it later on because eventually you'll get there anyways Mm -hmm. and it's really okay to know that it's don't put too much pressure on yourself really Mm. do it at the point in time where you feel most comfortable so yeah i think those really good advice on you know uh finding your path Mm. because so many people feel pressured into meeting those deadlines um (laughs) those deadlines i guess that society kind of sets up or other Mm. law students set up um and it's hard to not to compare yourself to other people as well and their progress as well Mm. so do you have any other you know, advice or any other tips for students just starting out. I think it's also relevant right now because there's so many people coming in, Mm. pressures, you know, new intake. So someone completely new to law, what would you say Mm. to them right now? Well, first thing first is enjoy it. If you're just starting out uni and you don't know anything, have the mindset that you're going to enjoy it. It'll make everything so much better. And second thing, It's going to be a process and you have to know that. And the most important part of the process is learning, not just from what other people are telling you, not from the professors, but from yourself. Learning from your own mistakes or your own failures or anything of the sort is one of the best ways to grow as a person and eventually as a candidate for a vacation scheme, a training contract, a scheme, anything of the sort. Mm -hmm. It's learning from what you've done in the past and assimilating it to what you end up, where you want to end up and what you want to end up doing is the best way of growing. There are so many resources out there that yeah. you can use, and I'll mention a few at the end of this episode, I think, but there are so many resources out there that you mm-hmm. can use to grow as a law student. If you're just starting out, you have so many tools at your disposal, use them. Honestly, they're going to be the best thing during your law degree to get you where you want to be, from books to podcasts to networking events. Yeah. Even the websites of the firms you want to apply to, use everything, do as much research as you need to. And keep going and don't give up. Even when you feel like you want to give up because you're so done. 
um, keep going because mm. eventually it gets better and eventually you get where you want to be. It takes time. It's not going to be instantaneous. Yeah. No one is out here getting every single vacation scheme and every single training. Yeah. You're going to get emails where it's going to say, sorry, you didn't get it. Yeah. Use what you learned from that experience. Ask them, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Get some feedback if you can and use it for the next one and then you'll get your yes. It's going to take 10 no's, but you're eventually going to get that yes. And if that's yeah. what it takes, then that's what it takes and that's okay. Thank you so much. Uh, I think no it will be very useful, you know, for our listeners um, to get that advice from somebody who's been where they are and who's also at, at the point where they are right now yeah. as well because you're still, you know, figuring things out. You're yeah. still... Um, on career journey, I think it's it's really good to have someone who's at the point where you are to yeah. give you advice as well. Because you know we all make we will all make it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good luck to everyone and good luck to you. Thank you. Um, and so now I think I want to transition into our deep dive for mm-hmm. today. You were, as far as I know, you were interested in technology mm-hmm. and its use in law firms, yeah. which is so relevant today. Especially, you know, with generative AI, mm-hmm. all of those, and all that innovation, yeah. law firms coming mm-hmm. up with their tech hubs and everything. Mm-hmm. So what specifically did you want to talk about? Yeah, so I recently read an article about, so Alan Overy, it's a magic mm-hmm. server law firm for anyone that doesn't know. They implemented an AI um, kind of into their inner workings of the firm, yeah. and that AI is now accessible for the lawyers working in their firm. Um, the AI is called Harvey, which I find very cute, reminds me of Suits. I know, right? <laughs> but... Um, I, I read that article and it really, it piques my interest because we've all heard by now about chat GPT and some other AIs that are coming out and how people are using them and how they're kind of revolutionizing Mm -hmm. the world we live in because tech technology is a great tool and it's a great asset. And the way it's, the fact that this article is stating that one of the biggest law firms in London and in the UK and even in the world is now using an AI actively to facilitate the work the lawyers are doing, it says a lot. It means that Mm -hmm. technology is now at the center of the legal field. And that's something that's very important. We've seen kind of a trend over the past few months that technology is being used and it's being developed in the legal field. And it's kind of revolutionizing it, which is very, very important for people to know in terms of commercial awareness, because it's a topic that's very well it's topical it's it's very important at the moment Mm -hmm. and from this topic i also have read other articles where ethical concerns are kind of being brought forth in the sense that ai we've all watched those movies when we were children where the robots take over the world and everybody's jobs are being replaced or they're starting to kill everyone. And that's the, the issues kind of stem from that. So the concerns are stemming from that. And the issue now is, is AI a tool or is it going to start replacing lawyers? And that's a question that some people are asking. Mm -hmm. And so having read quite a few articles on it, including this one article that we're probably going to end up linking um, is on Alan over and their Harvey AI my stance on it seems to be that despite the fact that AI is growing, it's not going to replace lawyers. So we're mm-hmm. not, we're definitely not at a point in time where the work AI is doing yeah. is equivalent to the work that lawyers are doing. I read another article from The Economist where a lawyer used AI 
um, to draft a document and then submitted it, but it was riddled with, well, things that were wrong in a sense. So it was. I think I know that case you're talking about. Yeah. I think, was it, um, I think, I, that's literally what I just wrote down. I think it was the firm that's Levdo, Levdo, and Overman. And they had, I don't know if we were talking about the same thing, mm -hmm. but it was this lawyer that submitted, attorney that submitted mm -hmm. a case, um, that submitted this document to a judge. Mm -hmm. And he referred to like cases six cases that, that were not yes. real. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. And they couldn't find yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, yeah, so it's Levado and Oberman. I've got the yeah, article yeah. in front of me. Yeah. Um, in the article, it says that a lawyer submitted a document and he generated that document with AI. Chat GPT, I think. Exactly, yeah. Chat GPT. And it was riddled with cases that didn't actually exist. And mm -hmm. so the arguments, despite being correct, because the law wasn't real, he submitted a document that was completely false. Yeah. So it kind of furthers the point that despite the fact that AI can be a tool and a very important one, it's important that firms start to use it because it can help a lot. Mm -hmm. It can help lawyers do certain tasks that are just general yeah as future lawyers we're, we have to be aware that we'll, we'll still have to perform well we'll still have to meet that certain standard because mm -hmm. we'll have to proofread what ai does we'll have to make sure we check everything it can help with certain tasks and it definitely will and it's going to incre increase productivity it's yeah. going to help us be more flexible and just work faster, but it doesn't mean we won't be working at all. And it mm -hmm. certainly don't, doesn't mean that AI is going to replace all of us and yeah. we're going, going to end up jobless. That's not going to happen, at least not in my opinion. So technology is very important at the moment. We can all see it growing around us and using it, using it correctly is going to be a great asset for the legal field and especially for us as future lawyers. Mm -hmm. We just have to make sure that we're not overusing it or using it wrong. Yes, technology is absolutely brilliant in terms of it being a tool. We have yeah. to keep using it. We have to keep developing different ways of making sure it increases productivity and lots of other things, but it has to be used sensibly. That's, mm -hmm. that's the important lesson for today. So it's something that as part of commercial awareness, you should definitely know about. So that's the topic I wanted to talk about a bit today. And just, you know, to continue your point, mm -hmm. I think right now, I guess the concern is not about AI replacing lawyers. Mm. It's more about, you know, the ethical mm. considerations of AI. But I do think that it will be such a transformative tool. Yeah, and it already is like, with, you know, creating formats for documents. Definitely not doing the entire job yeah. of the lawyer. You That's still need that critical right. thinking. Yeah. But it will help us a lot. And I think with the law firms that are prioritizing it right now, like Alan Milbury, mm -hmm. that is definitely going to be noticeable mm -hmm. and it's going to push them forward. So definitely, um, I think it's best for everyone to get familiarized with technology in law. It doesn't matter if you like coding, if, you're, <laughs> yeah. if you like IT, but it will be such a important, you know, part of it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that was a really good, you know, small little digest of this huge topic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you for that. And I think this will be a wrap for our episode. Mm -hmm. I will just ask you, you know, for what type of resources mm -hmm. are you going to be linking? And, you know, yeah. if you want to talk a little bit about them, just 
what they are. Absolutely. So um, in terms of kind of bibliography and resources for law students, as I said before, there are so many out there. And I've kind of got a list of a few. In terms of books, um, there's... M&A for Dummies, which I'm reading at the moment. It's brilliant for anyone who's interested in it's M&A. Yes, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. It breaks down everything with regards to mergers and acquisitions, which is a topic I'm really interested in. Again, I'm interested mm-hmm. in corporate law. It's, it's very interesting, and it breaks down everything you need to know, and it's just an absolutely brilliant book. Uh, another book for anyone starting out who's just starting out their law degree, um, Alan Hutchinson wrote a book called Is Eating People Wrong? Great Legal Cases and How They Shaped the World. It's a book that's just very interesting. If you're just starting out, you want to learn a bit about law, about mm-hmm. the legal field, about the different kinds of cases, and what's happening and what's been happening around the world, just read it. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, in terms of websites, there are many that you can use. Uh, Locaries.net, brilliant one, if you want to follow kind of solicitors, the firms, and you want to learn about the training contracts, the vacation schemes, and mainly the different firms, use it it's a brilliant resource if not there's also legal cheek um the legal 500 those are great resources again in terms of managing training contracts vacation schemes figuring out which firms you want to apply to um there are also organizations that can help you with tailoring your cv and helping you prepare the applications um for example seo upreach brilliant organizations Commercial, the Commercial Law Academy also has a great website. Definitely have a look at that. The Legally Speaking Podcast is another podcast mm. that, that would be brilliant to listen to for law students. Um, and one amazing website that I've been using a lot at the moment is the For- Forge. It's essentially a virtual internship platform yeah. where you can complete virtual internships for brilliant firms in mm-hmm. different sectors. It's an amazing way of learning about the day-to-day job that people are doing in different sectors. Um, it's great for lawyers, again. Yeah. For, well, at least for future lawyers, <laughs> because we're all learning. We're not there yet, but we're going to get it. Law students. <laughs> exactly. For law students. And non-law students as well. Yeah. As well, Just yeah. aspiring. It's different, yeah, it's not lawyers. just for law students, it's for yeah. different sectors. So the forest is a great way of learning the day-to-day job yeah. of lawyers, investment bankers, and so on and so forth. So if you want, if you don't have work experience, but you want some, use that. It's a great stepping stone to just know more about what you might end up doing. And mm-hmm. it's a great way, great way of, kind of be immersed into the world, um, yeah. especially for legal, legal field and law students. And in terms of news, Commercial awareness being something very important for law students, reading the news is very important. So the Financial Times, BBC News, The Guardian, there's so many different ones mm-hmm. and kind of journals and newsletters you can choose from out there. Follow any, make sure they're reputable, of course, and the stories you read have to be obviously legally related, but not only, you can read yeah. a bit of everything. So long as you're staying commercially aware, it's very good. And there's just, again, so many resources. <laughs> Thank you so much. No um, it was yeah, it's such an insightful podcast. Thanks. And it's very it's a very unique episode today because first of all, this is the first time I'm having an in-person recording. And also I haven't really been speaking to people in depth about their journeys yet. So you're one of the first people to start this kind of uh, rubric in my podcast. Thank you. It's yeah. an honor. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. Yes, good luck on your journey. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much.
And that's a wrap for today's episode. Big thanks to Rachel for joining us. I'm sure listeners soaked up some awesome insights. Your thoughts and feedback mean the world to us, so if you're eager to contribute, leave a review or drop your suggestions for upcoming episodes. Join the Suit Up community on LinkedIn where your insights can shape the future of our discussions. And before you go, remember that Rachel's curated list of recommendations will be waiting for you in the episode description and on our LinkedIn page. So until next time, keep those ambitions high, dream higher, and remember, the journey to success is always better when you suit up.